Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. This episode is the third of a three-part series titled, God Did What? Please consider listening to parts one and two before listening to this final part if you haven't heard them yet. This episode is picking up with a slight overlap from the previous episode. This section, the book of the law, including the Ten Commandments specifically, leads to condemnation and death. The Old Covenant, including the Ten Commandments, written on stone by God's finger, exposes our imperfections. Since that's all it could do, it led to condemnation and death. 2 Corinthians 3, 7-10 says, But if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory on his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory, because of the glory that surpasses it. Romans 7, 9-11 says, But when the commandment, which is you shall not covet, came, sin came to life, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 and 20 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as... And then he goes on to list. The law and commandments have no power, in and of themselves, to make us perfect. Nor do we, no matter how hard or how many times we have tried, have the ability to make ourselves follow the commandments perfectly. Just knowing what is wrong doesn't help us to be right. All the law can do is condemn. Therefore, the Ten Commandments, along with the rest of the book of the law, serves to bring death. During my time in my original church, I twisted verses and their meanings into verbal and contextual pretzels to make them say what the teaching of the church was. My desire to be intellectually honest chipped away at much of the teachings. Finally, only a very few teachings of the church remained for me but they were really being held on to for the sake of not completely letting go of the church. When my struggle of trying to blend the gospel of grace with the remaining law became obviously futile, I had to make the hard decision to leave. But grace is about more than a transaction of being made perfect. It's also about that perfection being protected for eternity. And beyond that, it's about the context of spiritual family love. This section, God's Spirit through faith and grace, not the obsolete law, is the new covenant for us. Galatians 2, 19-21 and 5, verse 18 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's hear that verse again. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Romans 7, 4-6 and 10, verse 4 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in regard to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were brought to light by the law, were at work in the parts of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, to everyone who believes. It is so human of us, so very human of us, to greatly endeavor to follow laws, rules, regulations as a means of righteousness, whether from the book of the law in the Bible or those we make up for ourselves and or for others. And we do that, don't we? We can be so fixated on, so elevate what is irrelevant, and we do so as if it can somehow be internally and eternally life-changing. That is our human conditioning and experience. However, if that were really the case, then Jesus would never have been needed. We could ourselves somehow, some way, work our self-improving process into personal perfection. But in reality, you and I really don't believe that. There is no human history to support that hope. The death and resurrection of Jesus were necessary through our belief in him and acceptance of what Jesus did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, we belong to him, are adopted into his spiritual family, and now led by his spirit. So Jesus brought an end to the law for our righteousness. When he died, the law died with him. When he resurrected, the law stayed dead. By accepting his grace, we spiritually died with him. Our old self is as dead as the law, or vice versa, the law is as dead as our old self. In our spiritual resurrection with Jesus, we are ushered into a new relationship covenant of grace, so we now live in the newness of the Spirit. This section, the law of love is the new command. This command of Jesus is not burdensome. It is our spiritual nature and heart's desire. John 13:34 says, I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 1 John 3:23 says, This is his commandment, that we love in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John 5:3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. God's perfect love is the answer to the serious questions of life. Jesus is our example for love. Love fulfills the law, 
and prevents a multitude of wrong attitudes and behaviors. The followers of Jesus had real-life experience with Jesus and His love. They could review their life events with Him and His interactions with others to see love in action. He wanted them to treat others as He treated them. This was a new commandment because it was about Jesus. It was about His perfect love. And it was enough. Colossians 2, 6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The counsel for Jesus' followers is to follow Him in the truth of His love and grace. That's how they came to accept Him, with His Spirit, in His freedom, with refreshment for their souls. We are encouraged to make freedom in Christ a big deal. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Here is a truth that is so hard to comprehend and internalize. We are free from the law, free from the spiritual consequences of sin, and free from eternal death. Oh, in our humanness there is a tendency to want to go back to what we have known, even though it is a yoke of slavery, burdensome and exhausting. This is the inevitable debilitating failure of striving through self-effort. We are told to stand firm against that. Jesus wants us to experience and enjoy our freedom in Him. This is what He has for us because of what He has lovingly done for us on our behalf. Nothing we can do beyond accepting His love will cause Him to love us more, make us more righteous, bring us closer to Him, ensure our eternal life. Nothing. He did it all. And it is enough. When we read behavior admonitions in the New Testament with the same approach that we read the laws, rules, regulations, and commands in the Old Testament, we will most certainly miss the heart of Jesus for us. We've used this verse before, but it's worth meditating on again. This is what Jesus wants for us, for our lives. Listen to the pleading of his heart. Matthew 11:28 through 30 Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, and my spirit is light. This section, the law is a trap of bondage. Christians are now spiritually perfect, righteous, one spirit with Jesus. Romans 6.11 says, So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 1-3 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul, the author of the letter to Galatians, is palpable in his frustrations. If anyone knew that perfection came through the Spirit of Jesus, it was he. During his pre-Christian life, Paul had an impeccable reputation as an old covenant law-keeping leader of the Jews. He despised the followers of Jesus. But, on the inside, he knew he didn't live up to his reputation. When his life intersected with grace through the life and power of Jesus, 
Paul knew the spiritual perfection he received wasn't just for a moment of forgiveness, it was forever. It would never be taken away, nor could it be improved upon through his own efforts. From this point on, now and forever, he was truly, spiritually righteous. There was no going back to the law for checking on how he was doing, for measuring his spiritual condition. He knew, as part of God's family, God would accept him as Jesus himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Who are Jesus' followers to God? It's pretty plain. Don't focus on our behavior for our spiritual identity. God doesn't. This is what God says about us. We are saints. We are as righteous as Jesus. We are a pleasurable fragrance to God. He has made us holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Again, this isn't referring to behavior. It's speaking of the very core of who we are, our spirits. We are spiritually joined with Jesus, actually one spirit with him. This can take a while to soak in. We are so used to using the outward appearance of ourselves and others so that we can make judgments. We look at the law. It says our behaviors and attitudes are wrong, so that must be who we really are. But God says the law is dead and doesn't, can't define us. God says we, our spirits, that which can live forever, are now rescued and adopted by him. We are now in his forever family, one of his very own. To him, we even smell just like Jesus. As one who has accepted the grace of Jesus, can you believe about you what God does? If not, why? Do you think your eternal future is in doubt? This section, Secure in the Love and Grace of a Faithful, Powerful, Eternal, Perfect God. Please take a long time to meditate on the following verses. It might be helpful to go to the graceintersect.com website to read the text with parts of the verses underlined and in bold to highlight the important truths that are often missed due to previous life programming. It is so easy to read scripture with assumption and or conditions that don't really exist. These verses are really quite self-explanatory. Listen to these scriptures in the spirit of the new covenant. This will reduce or even eliminate the tension often felt when the burden of law-keeping twists these truths of grace, freedom, and hope. This truth of Jesus is life itself. John 3, 15-18 and verse 36 says, So that everyone who believes will have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. John 6:39 and 40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. John 10:28 and 9 says, And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Romans 8:1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 says, Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless on that day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 3 and 4 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until that day. Hebrews 9.26-28 says, but now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. Hebrews 10:14 says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 13.5 says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. 2 Peter 1.3-4 says, For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he has appeared in order to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 1 John 4, 17-19 says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we also are in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. 
We love because he first loved us. This section, ending but not the end. John 6, 67-69 says, So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. John 1, 16 says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Ephesians 1, 6-8 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Romans 5, 20 and 21. The law came in so that the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigns in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jude 24, 25 says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. This concludes the final episode of a three-part series titled, God Did What? Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know your thoughts and or questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.